Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the JKWD podcast, where we're uh, just us, you know. Just us. Hey, before we um, before we talk about our guest and our sponsor, let's uh, wish a very happy birthday to our friend William Lovell. I'm looking forward to having this young man do great things in the world. By the time y'all hear by the time y'all hear this, we'll uh, have a few days' experience on this planet. Just a few days, so. Um, Happy birthday, let us be among the first. <laughs> you How go. you doing? How you doing today, Mr. Ringo? I'm doing all right, man. Life life's all right. Um Hey, I'm here in sunny upstate New York and it's still sunny upstate New York. With or without the rain. <laughs> well uh sunny probably more without. But you know, I guess you bring your own sun, right? Uh, yeah, you know, I package that stuff up, put it in my pocket, and call it Rice Krispies. You know, <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> yeah, but life is good. I'm feeling, I'm feeling good. Good way to draw insects. And you're small, and you're still, uh, you know, you're still all, you know, cute and gorgeous and everything, and all, oh, all, thank you. all illuminated. <laughs> That's actually just a light bulb above my head. <laughs> oh well. At least I noticed the Sitting light. Right under. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, we have a great guest today. Um, Jess Pettit is a uh, well, a stand-up comedian, a diversity trainer, communications expert. Um, yeah, we talked about a lot of your, stuff. Not your typical diversity trainer, is that what she said? Yeah, yeah. She said she was the typical diversity trainer for a while, and. She's like, oh, that was terrible. Why was I doing that? And so she uh, changed up the way she was doing things. And uh, you know, we uh, we talk about how we'll, we'll let you hear it, but but we talk about how to have a conversation without uh, punching somebody else in the throat, basically. <laughs> yeah, that was a specific example, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. And um, it was good. But we're brought to you today by Audible. Uh, we're not going to pick out a book because Jess has a book out and it's not on Audible. So um, you can go use our Amazon link at jkwdpodcast.com and, and get good enough now. Uh, but you can also go to audibletrial.com slash jkwd if you'd prefer to get a free audiobook and a free month at Audible. It's audibletrial.com slash jkwd. Or text five hundred or text JKWD to five hundred five hundred. Why do I say that every time? I start with <laughs> saying text five hundred. No, you don't. It's you all don't the mouth. Text the phone number right. to. You don't text the phone number to the phone number. You text JKWD to five hundred five hundred, and it will send you a link so that you can get your free month at Audible, your free audiobook. Oh, did did I get it? You got it. Audiobook. <laughs> 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 it's working today, yeah. Yeah, it's been an exciting, it's an exciting couple of days, right? Yeah. So it always yeah. is. It is, and and Jess, we had a lot of fun with Jess. She had a great conversation. So I'm thinking, what the hey? We may as well just get out of here and let them hear Jess, huh? Yeah, have some, have some music on the way. All right. Ja. 
Josh and Kelvin Oral Domination Podcast, where we talk about better humanhood and teach you how to dominate your world. You ready? Here we go. So what we like to do is rather than just sit here and read your resume and your bio, because everybody else has the same Google I do, um, is to have you tell us about you. Sure. So who uh, are you? What are you doing here? <laughs> I'm, I'm Allie Sheedy. I just didn't have any <laughs> on Saturday. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, that's good. Uh, so my, my name is Jeff Pettit. I am uh, kind of, I like to call myself the diversity trainer that your parents warned you about. Um, largely because I have done, I'm responsible for doing almost a decade worth of really bad diversity trainings, uh, burning myself and probably a number of my audience members out until I eventually noticed these patterns and I kind of flipped everything inside out and am now much more invigorated by uh, doing what I would consider kind of subliminal diversity trainings disguised as communication programs now. Um, And I've been doing it for about 15 years as a professional speaker. And this year I have a goal to support the podcast medium by being a guest on somebody's show every week. And I've learned, I don't know very much about technology, but I've learned a lot being guests on people's shows. So I'm here for y'all. Great. Thanks. How's that podcast experiment going? It's going pretty uh, well, actually. I have at least two scheduled almost for every week. Um, and then because of scheduling, or uh, a lot of people seem to be kind of dropping their podcasts to focus on other things. Um, sometimes they get canceled, but um, I'm happy. I've, I've really gotten to meet a lot of people and a lot of different contexts where I think my message is helpful. Um, but I think it's also a really cool way to just have accessible conversations that people can lis- listen to at their leisure. Right on. That's kind of how we got into the medium. I think is yeah. I yeah. I'm a I'm an audio guy. I like to listen while I do other stuff. Um, so th- this is perfect for that. Um, so what what what's your kind of direction? Your area in diversity training. What does what does that mean? Uh, what are you focused on? Sure. So my kind of mantra is do the best you can with what you got some of the time. And what I find, you know, you're setting the bar, you're setting the bar achievable. (laughs) Right. But what I think is interesting though, and I was one of those people that for 10 years or so, um, I felt like I needed to be perfect I needed to have the best cable channels, read all the right books, have access to all the new words and vocabulary, and wear all the right t-shirts. And none of that was actually changing me or changing my life or changing my audiences or participants in their lives or even their questions in the moment. And um, one of my favorite social justice quotes is by Francis Kindle, and that is, every system is exquisitely designed to produce the results it gets. And so I thought, sweet. Yeah. I I was like, all right. So what is the exquisitely designed piece of this? And is there something I can keep? And is there something I can change? And I decided to, instead of having the bar in some kind of perfection, amazing, inclusive humanity moment, which I still think would be great. What do I do 
on a Thursday in the grocery store when somebody's double parked and I'm want to throat punch them. What do I do right then? <laughs> so, so what do you do right then? <laughs> do the best you can. Do what you got. Some of the time. <laughs> but, like yeah. And hopefully not go to jail in the process. <laughs> right, right. And the idea is, is that it's, it builds on the momentum. Instead of waiting for perfection to kind of arrive at me where all of a sudden I'm 100% inclusive and I'll never offend anybody else, what I realized is, is that I need to participate in humanity. And to do that, I need to build some sense of momentum. So I'm going to start with recognizing I'm not perfect, but I'm still going to try to try. And maybe, just maybe, that could then be applied to someone else. And by applying it to someone else, maybe, just maybe, they also will continue to try. And that's how I came up with the concept of good enough now. Which is the name of your book. Clever Heist. And your website. (laughs) So let's talk about that. How did that come about? Yeah. So, I mean, literally, uh, I was going to quit. And I realized I I feel some sense of responsibility to keep doing the work that I'm doing. But I needed to do it at a, a place that felt like it was encouraging other people who felt very discouraged. So, Josh, to use your words, I lowered the bar. And my, my book is primarily um, understanding that I believe most human beings are good. Even people who really, really, really frustrate me, I believe their lived experiences have taught them how that this is the way to be. I might not agree with them, but their life has taught them that this is how to be. So they can still be really annoying, but I can hold them in a space that's differently right just for 30 seconds. And I'm going to be a better listener and I'm going to be able to engage across that annoyance or difference in a way to possibly learn something. Um, Once you kind of realize that piece, then it's, well, now what are you going to do? Like if my lived experience has taught me to be this way and your lived experience has given you your own set of judgment and assumptions, what do we do now? And the premise is, is that it's not awesome, but it's at least enough to begin to engage with one another Um, and then ending with the now, which is instead of just having more intentional conversations, the idea is is to actually legitimately have better connections. I feel like intentional conversations are really important uh, right now, particularly um, that um, we really have to strive for them and not just in the current political climate, but you know, with social media, which is really the opposite of intentional. Oh my! Um, yeah. um, so how how do we go about seeking and creating those those intentional communications? Yeah, so I think that a, a lot of the communication books, and I always like to do a shout out shout out to these four books: uh, difficult, fierce, crucial, and courageous conversations. Really break down where like the message sender and the message listener miscommunicate. And I think that's great. And I think that if you're not actually going to bring your own sense of responsibility into who and how you are, when you show up to that intentional conversation, you're not going to make a better connection. And so that's why I actually back up a spot to I'm going to make a better connection with this person doesn't mean that you're entitled to them saying, Oh yeah, let's do this. 
but it's how you're going to enter that conversation with all of your lived experience, all of your baggage, all your judgments and assumptions about yourself and them, and then allow them to do the same. Then you decide you're going to have an intentional conversation, which I then think you need the first step of that is really listening, not just shutting your face until you get to speak, but then you listen, then you form your message. Like there's a lot of work that needs to happen before you just go busting out with things. But often we don't spend that much time with our own thoughts, let alone somebody else. Yeah, I I consider myself to be a communicator. And I used to think I was almost a perfect communicator. And then I realized some of the things you just talked about. Yeah, because, you know, my experiences have brought me to BAM. So I got certain expectations, which I forget are my expectations, (laughs) not necessarily the the uh, best thing for the group so so getting back to a point of neutral where i can do the things you just mentioned uh listen carefully uh make sure i understand where it is you're coming from and and i like to to say that you know seek first to understand and then be understood is is my watchword but i have found that sometimes apparently it isn't <laughs> so it's good for me to have a reorientation like you're, you're giving us right now, because I, you know, I'm, I'm not perfect and I know I got some biases. Uh, so, so that's very good. Now, how long did it take you to figure that out? Um, well, I don't think I'm done. First of all. <laughs> <laughs> I still got a long to go, but I think that if, if we keep with your kind of downshifting metaphor or at least getting into neutral, What I noticed was, is that I would react and be spontaneously in fifth gear. There are other times where I was 100% in neutral, had no idea where to go, Mm -hmm. spinning rainbow ball of death, blue screen to be inclusive. Um, Like I'm not going nowhere, right? Uh So, but actual connections and actual conversations happen somewhere in first to fourth year. So if you're at five, what would happen if you could consciously take responsibility for like, whoa, I might, this might be a lot right now. What if I downshift to three? Or like, I don't know, I hope somebody else stands up because I'm not doing nothing. What (laughs) would happen if you just like slowly started rolling forward in first? Mm Mm-hmm. That's the momentum piece that I feel is missing from most of the diversity trainings that I did for years. Now I'm going to ask you something really silly. Hit me. Give me an example of what you just said. Um, so let's take some topic. You have to give me a, a give me a contentious topic. If not, I'll, I guess I'll make one up. You got anything bothering uh, you? No, I'm a, I'm gonna let you make one up for now. How's that? Fantastic. Let's take the AR-15. Yeah, let's. Okay, great. So some people do not know anything about what I just said. Some people instantaneously know what I'm saying, and now they are in fifth gear about whatever it is they feel about an AR-15. Right. Okay, so first off, heady, AR-15 is a semi-automatic rifle that is often used for hunting and has recently gotten a little bit more of Uh, popularity I guess or attention because it has been used as the weapon in the last several school shootings Mm 
Yeah, and this um, is um, to just to further um, because people will. I, I'm in Georgia, so people get mad at me if I, <laughs> if I don't jump in a little bit. Um, it, it's a it's a high capacity magazine. It's a rapid fire weapon. Um, so it's yeah yeah your your average everyday pistol is also semi automatic, but it's it's different. It's it um, it's it's a military style assault weapon. Right. Assault type weapon. Yeah. Hundred percent, and um, the reason why it is often a choice in these kind of what I would consider heinous crimes is that it also can fit uh, magazines with a lot more shells in it than typical. Even if those magazines are not legal in certain places, it has the capacity to do that. So some people who know nothing about guns. When they hear the word AR-15, they're instantaneously at ban all guns, must be, if you have to have a gun, must be locked in a safe in your house. And that can really comport or really inflago, I guess is the best way to say it. People who feel like they have guns for self-protection in their home don't want their gun in a safe because they need access to it to protect their home. Plus, Safes are really expensive and really cumbersome. So what you end up doing is you end up having two groups of people who instantaneously are at level five when I say four different things, AR-15, right? AR-15. There's other people who have no idea what that is. And then, Josh, you're referencing people that I think get left out of this conversation a lot, is that you have people who know a lot about guns, And they just assume that if you say it, that you're going to say something bad about it. Right, exactly. So I can't, in this particular recording, I'm certain when I said, all right, let's take the AR-15, I'm sure both of you puckered a little bit, like, oh my gosh, where is she going with this? So this is what I mean by we cannot possibly have better connections if we cannot communicate with one another. So... I live in a very small rural town and I facilitated a conversation recently about guns, uh, gun laws and gun access. And what's interesting is first off, it's a very complicated issue. There's more than two sides, but people like to generalize and think there's only two sides. So I don't know much about California gun laws, even though I was raised in Texas and my raising in Texas, I was familiar with long guns or rifles or hunting weapons more than I was handguns. So I took the concealed carry weapons course here and I took an intro to handguns class. I went to a shooting range. I shot like 200 different weapons. And then I specifically requested to shoot the AR-15 because my brethren of pinko commie liberals, um, that's the gun we keep talking about right now. But most of the people who are creating that argument don't know anything about guns. Mm -hmm. So you also have politicians or legislators who need to look like they're doing something about guns may or may not know anything about guns and have to tread second amendment and gun access, gun laws, gun rights advocates or advocate uh, activists. They have to thread the middle. So you end up with this collection of laws that doesn't make any sense. Right? So then when I facilitated this conversation, what I started with is everyone who I talked to as they were registering for the event everyone's interested in the idea of safety. Mm-hmm. So even just saying that everyone is interested in the idea of safety, that it, it downshifts the entire 
conversation, but it also welcomes in the people who felt like they couldn't do anything. They don't know enough. They couldn't say anything. They're going to opt out of this conversation. So now let's have a conversation about safety. What does that mean for our community? That's what I mean by doing the best you can with what you got some of the time. And that a really complicated issue it is super simple to people who are in level five because they typically have very clearly laid out ideas and thoughts that may or may not be based on facts and reality, but you're leaving out everybody else in the conversation. So instead of avoiding the topic or screaming about the topic, we have to be able to connect in the middle in a way that really listens to each other. So do you have ways to um, enter your, enter your interactions and in one or two or even in neutral. So a lot of people are, yeah, a lot of people are, are running around already at four, just, you know, their kid woke them up in the middle of the night. They didn't get enough sleep. Um, somebody cut them off in traffic. And by the time they get to a place where they actually start interacting with people, they're, they're already in high gear. Yeah. Um, you know, how do you, how do you take that and, and give, uh, yeah, how, how do you get yourself and then others to recognize, oh, we're all at, we're all at like four and a half most of the day. Maybe we need to figure out how to, how to start all these interactions at one or two and, and recognize when we're, when we think we're there, but we're really not. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, spoiler alert, I wrote a book about it. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh. Um, I know. Surprise. Um, I do like to tell listeners that if they're interested, um, you can go to goodenoughnow.com slash freebies, F-R-E-E-B-I-E-S, and download uh, information about the book, but more importantly, the activities and this flow chart that I'm, I'm referencing about making better connections. It's all free um, if you're interested. Um, there's, there's three three comments I have to your question. So the, the first one is, um, and this is the, the one that comes out of the gate, is how do I make other people do this? I have no idea. I can't make, I can't even make myself do things I know I need to do, which is why I still have a pile of laundry I need to put away and I'm not going to exercise enough to actually lose weight, right? If I can't make myself do what I need to be doing, why am I putting pressure on myself to fix Todd, right? Todd's right. annoying. Todd's going to be annoying. Until Todd's interested in changing, Todd's going to be annoying. But I don't have the option of just opting out of interacting with Todd. Sometimes I'm married to Todd. Sometimes I supervise Todd. Sometimes Todd's my boss. So that you have to take that piece off the table entirely because a lot of people don't engage if they can't make other people do it. That's just stupid. You can't make anybody do anything. So that take that justification off. So now you're left with how do I make myself do this? That's the key about the sum of the time. And what is this? What is the process? And so I think it's, if we go to this kind of what I would call triggers, right? Or these moments where you can go from like a completely normal, rational person to a completely insane person. Um, my great example is the grocery store parking lot where I just need to get groceries and somebody doesn't know how to park. It completely shifts my entire worldview when I remember that there are people on the planet who have no idea how to park. <laughs> that's it. That's, that's actually what completely ruins my day. 
I was actually um, going to a wedding recently and I was in the car with the uh, minister who was going to be doing the wedding and she's driving and she's a lovely, calm, rational, gentle kind of soul, um, not to be stereotypical of ministers. That's actually who this woman was. Mm -hmm. We're driving around. We're in Omaha, Nebraska, and out of nowhere, somebody, I think, didn't use their turn signal. I'm not certain, but that was clearly this woman's trigger. And like the worst road rage I have ever witnessed in my entire life came from this minister on the way to the wedding. So, whoa, right? I can't make her stop that, but I can notice and take note that evidently bad drivers send her over the edge, but I can do my own work of like, I don't really, I think this is overreacting, but when do I overreact? So then the process is about taking responsibility for who and how you are and doing something about it. And the, the doing could be, yep, use your turn signal, people. But at least you've taken responsibility for that response. Well, and now you know that if if you're out with her and there's there's been some bad driving that that maybe that thing you were going to talk about can wait because <laughs> you don't you don't want her coming in amped up on uh, on the other conversation you were going to yeah. have. I'd rather talk about AR-15s than people who don't use the return signal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I've, I've given up at the grocery store. I just go straight for the spot that's a, you know, that's a 10-minute walk away. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, that's a zoo. Let me, uh, let me, let me uh, jump in here a little bit about uh, taking responsibility for your, for your conversation um, or taking responsibility for How'd you say it for, for who you are um, and how you are? I've, I've been reading a lot lately and, and I try to do this, although I I'm not perfect at it, obviously, about, you know, actually taking responsibility for who you are and, and for what you think. I have a, you know, most people's opinions and beliefs, right? I say that most of us didn't really pick our beliefs. Somebody gave them to us. And most of us haven't actually examined them to see what it is we believe, why we believe it, and, and whether or not it's still valid. So um, in, in any point where I'm like, you know, how do I feel about this? I, I like to spend time, like, how did I get this belief? Is it something I really believe or something just handed down to me? And I'm, and, and, and I'm protecting it because somebody else is um, maybe attacking it or, or, telling me I should have it or shouldn't have it versus this is what I believe. This is why I believe it. This is why I believe what I believe is true. Uh, that kind of thing. And personal responsibility for your thoughts on that level. Um, uh, can we have a little conversation about that? Absolutely. It's, it's actually a very mother Teresa thing to do is ultimately, I mean, I know all of my research I've done on my social justice icons, it was Mother Teresa's constant reflection on why she believes what she believes. And I think that until I really internalized what that means, I was just kind of navigating the world thinking everybody believed what I believe. Mm. Um, when I would, you know, if so, I ask somebody, why do they believe what they believe? And the answer's because, you know, I was a college <laughs> I went to college in Arkansas. That's a family member, not a reason. <laughs> <laughs> that was, 
(laughs) Wonderful. Okay. What's key when you begin to start questioning what it is you believe in, and some people already defensive at the idea, Mm -hmm. you can always come back to what you believe in and still believe it. But you're going to believe it way stronger because it survived your own questioning process. Right. Then you're going to be able to tell other people why you believe what you believe and possibly even recruit people to your side. Excellent. Yes, correct. I, yeah, I like that. And, and, and you do that from the stage. You help people do that from the stage, yes? Yeah. I mean, I, I help people do that if they're going to listen to me talk. <laughs> Good. All right. So, uh, so I like that. So have you, well, you said you've had your, your issues with that in the past. Um, so obviously you do that already. So. Oh, yeah. And I, I'm completely 100% consistent and perfect at it now. And so I never, ever, ever backstep <laughs> or do anything that really makes me question my right to exist on the planet. Exactly. And that's exactly what I wanted to hear. Thank you very much, Jess. It's been wonderful having you here. <laughs> all clean, all good. No need to repeat. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I hate those moments when I realize, oh, I'm not nearly as perfect as I thought it was. Gee, yeah. how did I have that reaction and why? <laughs> I was going to say, just in case, listeners, I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> Yeah, we can't put that on the screen, right? Yeah. So, yeah, that's it. Raise the flag. I'm being sarcastic. I'm being sarcastic. There you go. I love it. Yeah. So how I'm, long have you been? Now, you, you started out as a, um, and, and, and Josh, if I'm taking you off a point, just feel, tell me to shut up because, you know. No, no, I was heading the same place you are. Go for it. Uh, you, so you've been, you've been uh, doing this for, you started out as a, as a, uh, a comedy Speaker, what do you want to call it? Comedian. Yeah, that's it. Is that what you're saying? Um, yeah. And, and, you, and you still are. So you've taken all this stuff and put it into a, a comedic content. How's that working as far as getting people to look, um, uh, to look at themselves? Or even better than that, what made you, at what point did you decide to take that route as opposed to the one you talked about earlier that was making you sick and you hated it and stuff? No, oh, yes, bad diversity trainings. Um, laughter is the great equalizer. So no matter how contentious and awful and you're wrong, if people laugh together, they can have a moment. And that moment might be fleeting. But that moment, I believe, is progress. Um, I, I was a safety girl, so I worked as a college administrator for a number of years, working primarily in diversity-related fields or offices on college campuses around the country. Um, so I was constantly delving into these areas or topics where administrators or upper administration, they didn't want to have these conversations. They asked me to write reports about how the university could better serve marginalized or subordinated populations or the surrounding community, I would. They didn't want to have that conversation. Um, so the, the way that I built social capital was through stories and laughter. And I just, I grew up in a family that was pretty funny and good storytellers. I grew up in Texas and um, I realized that there was a pairing of deep personal uh, defensiveness 
that would kind of just let some of the air out a little bit if they could laugh, if they could be vulnerable, if they could poke fun at themselves. And I decided to kind of take that underbelly approach. And so in my work, um, I do not skirt any issues. And I talk about all the things that you know some board member has put on a list of these are the things that cannot be mentioned. Mm -hmm. That's what I lead with. But if you're able to do it in a way that connects all of us with our humanity, then we can actually really begin to change and really begin to listen and hear one another. And that's why I show up to work every day. Awesome. I would think that uh, some topics even then are very, very tough to, to cover. Um, you get George Carlin's seven words and you get <laughs> taken it into society. <laughs> yeah. So if you're, um, what, what, um, is there an area right now you're most passionate about? Oh man. Um, cheese. Cheese is probably pretty high. Cheese is good. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's funny because, Josh, when you mentioned uh, George, so but when I was doing stand-up in New York, I was working at NYU, and at night I started uh, emceeing a show, and then there was a Democratic Party fundraiser, and they really needed, like, a nobody to emcee mm -hmm. the shows. And um, I had a full-time job. I was not an aspiring comic. I started doing it um, kind of in homage to my father after he passed away. But I got to emcee these fundraiser shows and I got to work and process with and write jokes with George Carlin and Robin Williams and oh, wow. Kathy Griffiths and all these like amazing people because I'm a nobody. Um, so, so when you said taking the seven words into real life, it was kind of like, oh, like, <laughs> yes, thank you for that huge compliment. Um, so to the question, Kelvin, what am I really passionate about right now? I feel like we are being told that we are more polarized now than we've ever been. Mm -hmm. And um, that's not true. Um, I think that's a really important statement. And it also kind of makes people go, wait, what does she say? Um, I don't think we're more polarized. I think we're probably equally as polarized, um, but somebody's making money off of it. Mm -hmm. So what happens now is let's say that, Josh and I are about to engage in a conversation and I'm, I'm told that we are more polarized than we've ever been before in our entire life. Well, I'm not doing anything. I just met Josh. I'm not doing So clearly it's Josh. Josh mm -hmm. is the one who's doing all the polarization, but do you see how that changes my posture mm -hmm. as I like lean into a conversation with Josh? It changes the font mm -hmm. of how I hear what he says or the messages I'm going to deliver to him. Mm -hmm. so my big thing right now is specifically related to elections because tis the season is that when we go to presidential elections, it is the last one. It is important to remember the vast majority of eligible voters in the United States did not vote. Of the people who did vote, the vast majority voted for someone because they were not the other person. So, that we have that in common now, right? Is that if you voted, you're one of the few people who did, statistically speaking, and chances are you voted for somebody because they weren't somebody else. Now, yeah, this, this is very much a not for this person, but against the other person election. Right. But yeah. I, I mean, I'm going to be 45 next month. 
And in my voting experience, um, I don't remember there ever being an election that wasn't like, well, they're not the other person. So, I mean, that's the bonus of a two-party system. I remember the very first time I got to vote was in Arkansas, and it was Clinton and Bush, and I was unfamiliar with the voting machine, and I accidentally voted for uh, Perot. And I was like, oh, well, at least it wasn't George Bush. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So, like... (laughs) That was the last time Georgia went Democratic was was that election, and, and... Yeah, I think Clinton won by 15,000 votes in an election that Ross Perot got 110,000. Wow. Nice. Yeah, so so going so what's up for me right now is this concept that social media has made everything more polarized. No, it hadn't. Like that we are this is how we treat one another. Now, some of us aren't taking responsibility or we have more avenues to anonymously and instantaneously post our fifth gear responses, right? Or we can, <laughs> we can passively aggressive just unfollow someone instead of actually confront somebody about what is this gloopesty on your page. Um, but I don't think it's any different. I think we just need to chill out. Well, we've also got the ability now um, to, to really gang up on people. Um, you know, it didn't used to be that we could have you know, a hundred thousand people uh, just calling you to be fired for something you said, um, you know, or if they did, they could just yell it at their walls because the rest of us couldn't hear you. Um, but, but now, you know, Twitter allows for that. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, even if I, I'm being a little bit metaphorical, but yes, that is a real thing. And historically speaking, not too long ago, we called that called bullying, isn't it? No, right, right. Or we called it picnics, right? And we were there to watch a good lynching. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. I think that's a really important thing to understand is that um, as as humanity, we have been killing humanity mob style since we knew there were other people on the planet. Mm-hmm. Now, w- killing may be metaphorical. Most of the time, it's not. And I don't see it as any different. What the biggest difference is that somebody's making a lot of money on this. Um, I'm very conflicted actually with the people who figure out the pictures of people on social media, figure out where they live and work and then like go after them in a, in that way. I'm very conflicted about that because I don't necessarily think just because technology or even science just because it can do something doesn't mean that we ought to. Um, I, I, I don't know where I land on that. And I think that it's probably not okay that I don't know where I land on that, but it's definitely up for me to pay attention. I don't know that destroying anybody's life or if anybody deserves to die. And well, like, and this, honestly, even, even with all the yelling, um, it's probably the least violent time in history because we're doing all our yelling on Twitter instead of, you know, with swords right? in person. It's funny, actually, when I took that guns class, um, you know, that's how the store also sells guns. So you're supposed to kind of like figure out which, which handgun you'd like if you wanted one. And so I told them, I was like, well, you don't sell muskets anymore. <laughs> so if I were to buy a gun, I would buy a single action barrel revolver. 
And they were like, why? You're going to get killed. And I was like, I'm going to get killed if something escalates to the level of gunfire. I'm probably going to get killed, regardless of what kind of weapon I have in my hand. Um, But for me, it's kind of Lockean. I want to see the eyes of the person that I'm fighting with. And a single <laughs> pull that thing out. Yeah. Yeah. Like, hold on, let me open the box. Uh, <laughs> that's uh but but what's important though is is that I know that about myself and I know that other people probably think that's utterly ludicrous. But I bet I get some kind of like nod of respect that I've actually like thought about it. I've actually processed through. I've I've really come to terms with that fact. I might be stupid about it, but I now know how I feel. Well, you know, my my gun experience, uh, and I and I spent twenty years in the military, uh, in the Air Force, and I know you know they taught us how to shoot the uh, the M sixteen and basic training and all that nifty stuff. And at some point after that, I actually went out and bought a, a gun. It was a it was a rifle. <laughs> it was a twenty two. It's it's kind of like a M sixteen, except there's not nearly as much bullet with it. <clears throat> but it, at any rate, um, I went hunting one day. Well, I'm not going to tell you the stupid story where me and my friend went like looking for bear with these twenty two longs. But so I'll leave that part out. But one day, I sh- there was a a pigeon in a in a in a in a tree, pigeon, and and I shot it. You know just. Cause it was there. Oh, let me see if I can hit that. And right after that, since that was the worst feeling I'd ever had in my life, because you, I, you shot a pigeon with a 22. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it was a gun. Okay. Let's, let's go for the projectile part. <laughs> okay. of it. But I killed that bird and I watched it die. And, and I'm, and I'm like, it was just sitting there singing. And that was probably the worst feeling I've ever had in my life. <laughs> Cause I mean, I had no reason to shoot. I mean, it's not like I was actually going to, I think my friend might've, well, maybe it wasn't a pigeon. Maybe it was a, what's that other small quill type thing. You know, I think he took it home and cooked it, but I'm like, I'm, I'm no, you can have that. And I sold my gun after that because I didn't really want that. Despite the fact I was in the military, um, I didn't, I didn't want that. And the thing that I observed about having weapons and my thought at the time was, you know what, if, if you got one in public, you only got once to use it. Cause then everybody knew you got it. And then like, well, now it's just a battle. It's not even, it's not even an advantage. So I prefer to communicate with people in such a way that we don't get to that point. If we can possibly, uh, make that but weapons i you know i know people who have guns that's fine i know people who hunt i know people who uh you know eat 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 the stuff that they shoot and and all that other stuff the uh some of the other stuff but you know it's not for me so mm-hmm. and that's that that was a personal choice i've stuck by that choice all these all these years and just because I, you know i i think having that gives you um in many times a false sense of security and we're, we're not back in a revolutionary war anymore where they're, you know, coming door to door to, to blow you away, generally speaking. And, um, I, you know, I, that, that's just my feeling. So, and that's me. And and we can have that conversation. I don't have to get mad about it either. It's just the way I feel. Right. Well, and that, that's what was fascinating. So, so we took something that 10 minutes ago was like, Oh my gosh, a topic. And now we're really sharing and talking with one another, right? Like this is important. And 
And in that class, the number of people who said, well, can I just like have a concealed carry weapon permit, but I don't actually carry a loaded gun. Like, I just want people to know I have a gun, but I'm not actually going to put bullets in it. No, that's like the stupidest thing because someone's going to think you have a gun that's loaded. Like, why would you do that? Uh-huh. Um, there's a lot of liability that comes along with if, if, if you get to the point where you fire a gun, you are going to change the life of at least two people, you and the person you're aiming at, and the people all around who are getting ready to witness it and may possibly be accidentally in the line of fire. Like, this is a responsibility conversation. And I'm really glad you shared what you shared because, again, using this as an example, I really thought that altercations were, you know, step one through five. And I do believe the judgments, assumptions, and bias, et cetera, may get people to chapter five faster, stage five faster um, because of their own limitations. But at stage five of an altercation, I'm probably going to die. Like, that's where we're at. And what I learned is that there are very similar processes in that gun owners, et cetera, may also have stages one through five. They also have stage six through ten. And once it's escalated to that part, they may also have problems. They may not have problems. They may become the problem. Mm -hmm. So by opting out of me ever engaging in gunfire with a pigeon or a human, um, my stages stop at a certain point and other people's continue. Right. Oh, okay. Like that's way different than like at stage two, I just kill people. Like most responsible gun owners have chapter six through 10 in this process. Um, And I think that that's an important thing to remember. And I think Kelvin, you shared like you can have your own feelings and know what those are, know what the history is, know when the moment was that you had some reckoning and that doesn't make you then judge or downplay other people who landed in a different place. You just now have better understanding. Okay, great. Yep. I know me. So thank you. Well, I know we are coming up on a time when you need to scoot. Is there anything else you wanted to get to uh, before we, before we start wrapping up? I do not come with an agenda other than an open conversation. And I think this has been great. great. Thank you very yeah, much. It's been awesome. Um, yes. So the the book, the website are good enough now, good enough um, Where do you hang out on social? Where can people find you? Um, I mostly am on Facebook. Um, Facebook, my I have a Twitter, I have LinkedIn, I have those kind of things. Um, I rarely know how to log in, so I wouldn't go there. Um, <laughs> you're welcome to. Um, I also, in case. In case there's a situation going on in a listener's life, um, you're also welcome to text message anything, anytime, if I can be of assistance or helpful in like kind of providing some perspective of a situation. People can text message me at 202-670-4262, Otherwise, goodenoughnow.com. That's me, Jess Pettit. Great. Thanks so much, Jess, and um, enjoy the rest of your day. Absolutely. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening. Show notes and more at jkwdpodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share with your friends.
a Better Humanhood production.